Hello people and welcome to this week's episode of the Two Half Show. Joining me as always this week, uh, Usama. Usama, how are you doing my bro, you good? Yeah man, I'm good, how are you? I've been good, I've been good, thank you. Guys, welcome to our last full Two Half Show before the World Cup of course. The World Cup kicking off this Sunday in Qatar. Uh, and thank you for the response on our World Cup preview last week. It was amazing to get all the guys on and you'll be hearing more from everyone throughout the World Cup on our World Cup special edition show, the Doha Diaries. Uh, Doha Diaries will come to you every week during the World Cup. There'll be some weeks where we may even do more than one show, depending on the fixtures and what happens, of course. So look out for that. Uh, but for now... Uh, let's focus on this week and of course this was the final week of the football season ahead of its World Cup break Arsenal, top of the league fair play to them we'll come on to them the NFL, an amazing weekend uh, of action where which saw the game of the year between the Buffalo Bills and the Minnesota Vikings a lot to discuss from that and who leads in the MVP race and finally of course to the association where it's been an interesting start to the uh, NBA season. Osama, first of all, this weekend, finally said goodbye to the Premier League for the next month and a half or so. Arsenal top of the league. Let's start there because I think uh, it's a good place to start and uh, maybe time to give them some some flowers for, for their performances. Of course, they go into the break with a five-point lead over Manchester City who dropped points at home to Brentford in that loss. Can Arsenal really challenge you this season? I think they can. I think the only issue or the only question mark that stops them from challenging is the squad depth. I think they have a numerous amount of absolute quality players uh, within each part of the pitch, defensive and offensive players. But I think the only weak link to that is that if key players do get injured, their backup options aren't the best. So, for example, you've got the likes of Martin Odegaard or Gabriel Jesus or even Gabriel Martinelli. Now, if one of them three players, let's say, for example, or William Saliba gets injured, kind of shows that the, the players that they have within the squad, are they able to kind of step up to the play and perform as how their teammates have been performing and how well Arsenal have been playing this season? They've won all the games except for one, which they lost to Manchester United. Um, I think they've had a really good run of form recently. Yeah, of course, uh, like you said, um, they've played 14 games, they've won 12, drawn one and uh, lost one. So th- they've been in remarkable, remarkable form all season. And like we said, I think at the start of the season that, you know, oct- October was going to be a huge month for them. Yeah. Um, And I wouldn't have been surprised if they started to drop some points in October. But to be fair to them, they haven't. And they've maintained their pace. And, you know, their their target this season was, you know, to get into that top four. And like, Talks of a title challenge are great for their fan base, of course, and they would enjoy that and love that. Um, but I agree with you. I think that they would have to keep up this consistency that they have done so far. They would have to keep it up, of course, for the next 24 games rather than 14 games. So, whereas I, I think up to now, they have to be commended and they have to be congratulated for their form. And Arteta has done an amazing job of um, creating a cohesion within the squad. They will still have to prove it uh, for a longer period of time. The the plus side for them, of course, is that I think now they are probably guaranteed a, a top four spot. Of course, nothing yeah. is guaranteed in football. They could easily have 
you know, a terrible run of form and and end up outside of the the top four spots. But I do think, given their consistency this season, given their points haul already this season, I cannot see four of the teams finishing above them. Um, and speaking of the top four, I think there's one point that it's got to be said. I think if they do break this kind of curse that they have, is that Arsenal have failed to win the Premier League the last five times they were top at Christmas. So yeah, and top at Christmas has kind of lost its meaning a little bit because I think Spurs in the Mourinho season were top yeah. as well. And, and A couple of times at the Liverpool as well. Yeah, well, we've seen but them fall apart. Yeah, the so rest of them have been able to win it. So whether they can win it or not, it's, it's going to yeah, be good to see. that's the question. Of course, given how early the break is and, and it will carry through to Christmas, um, they will be top at Christmas even though they've played a lot less games than a team would usually have played. But speaking on the top four, um, the surprise team in there uh, is Newcastle. Now, Newcastle have done phenomenally well. Uh, no one, even the people who expected them to do well, I don't think anyone expected them to be third seven points off the top of the league. Again, I don't think for them the target was let's try and get top four. I think a top half finish, maybe getting a Europa League place would have been a realistic target and yeah. uh, an ambitious target and I think they probably will do that anyway. But do you think there's a real chance that they could finish in the top four this season, just going off their form, going off the momentum, um, you know, doing a Leicester basically to a lesser extent? I think because looking at Newcastle, there's not much pressure on them to get into the top four. Now, with that, I think Eddie Howe has done really well with setting up his team and playing really good football, conceding the lowest amount of goals with Arsenal. And they've also looked good going forward. And the thing is with Newcastle, every time you watch them, beforehand, the fans were always against them. Like, they were playing really defensive football. They weren't enjoying the football. But now the fans are fighting for each player and they love what the players are doing, which is fighting for the shirt. And I think they've got a lot of good individual players. And these individual players kind of stepped up their game this season, whether it's down to Eddie Howe's tactics for example, Miggy Almiron. No one would have thought he'd be having the season he's having this season. Yeah, He and is on fire right now. And there's no pressure on them not to get top four. I think a European place would still be regarded as an achievable. Huge success. A huge yeah. success. And for me, that's the reason why I don't think it will. they will make the, the top four. I think they will manage to secure a place in the Europa League. But, um, or, or the conference at worst. For me, the reason why I don't think they will make it mm. is I think it's a case of their players overperforming, um, especially players like Miguel Almiron, who's been amazing, sensational. You know, like you said, deserves the Player of the Month award and has you know taken taken the criticism that some people leveled at him by storm. Uh, Callum Wilson forcing his, himself into the World Cup squad for England. Um, I'm looking at the back, Botman, I don't know how he didn't make it, but we'll come on to that. Even Nick Pope being uh, crucial in goal for them. So, for me, it's I, I just don't know whether they can continue their performance. Do you think them not being, or them not having a lot of players getting sent to the World Cup and not being in European leagues kind of benefits them into getting, or challenging for the top four? It benefits them to a certain extent, but... A lot of other teams still, you know, even in the top sides, not everyone is going to the World Cup. So um, it benefits them, but it also 
I think doesn't really play that much of a part in in them getting the top four because I don't think they, you know, if, if because they're overperforming, I don't think that if they perform at the actual level, they break into the top four. And that's the only thing for me. And that's not a criticism, like I said. For them to even get a Europa League finish is incredible. That gives them a building block to push for further success in coming seasons. And they are going to be a threat for the top four and for the Premier League title in coming years, especially if they manage to get Europa League this a spot this season. So uh, I look forward to their progress. And listen, I would love it if they could break into the top four. I'll be honest with you. Um, but would you, would you I just say, can't see it, to be honest with you. Would you say overperforming in terms of the players themselves or the manager or oh, the, the team? The, 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 oh, the players so, themselves. I like Eddie Howe as a manager. Whether he's you know a Champions League manager is another another question, but I like Eddie Howe as a manager. I think he's a very good manager. I just think from in terms of the, the players are overperforming. And I'll be honest with you, Rob, I think my, when we did our Premier League yeah. predictions, I'll be honest, I think my top four predictions are, is going to come off the only question mark now is only about Tottenham, to be honest, because, you know, at the weekend... You had them second, right? I had them second, I had Arsenal third and United <laughs> fourth. Arsenal, I think, are probably going to finish second th- this season. And then I think United will probably finish third and Spurs fourth, maybe. But I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of things I don't like about Spurs. And we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that their form is a question mark. Yeah. And even at the weekend, like you look at the nature list, they won the game. They won with two goals in the last minute. That's not sustainable. Exactly. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so for me, I look at it and I'm just like, looking at how tight that is, you know, they are three points ahead of Manchester United in fifth, but, you know, United have a game in hand. Liverpool are not far off uh, from there. With and, the of course, hand, Chelsea yeah. continue being a, uh, a threat as well. So, Chelsea and Liverpool only a point apart from each other. So, for me, Spurs is the question mark about whether they can secure that top four spot in terms of my predictions. But... I think honestly, bro. I don't think they'll. Make I think it. Liverpool. I think Liverpool are gonna. I think Liverpool are gonna secure that fourth yeah. spot. Looking yeah. at looking at the the season so far and the sample size we have so far. Yeah, just a just a note on Tottenham. I think, like like you said, they're conceding a lot of goals and they're starting the game really slow. Like in each game they've played, I think the past three to four games that they've played in cup and league, they've been the first to concede and. As a result of that, they're now in the Always second half. Always chasing the game, aren't yeah. They? And I think you're right in the sense of it will catch up to them, and it has done this season. And I think that there's always that question mark that hangs above Conte's head uh, in terms of is he going to still be there this next season? There's been no talks of a contract extension. Nothing about the club wanting to keep him. Nothing about him wanting to stay. You know the Pochettino prediction that we made of him coming back. I think is going to happen and. Mm. Question mark is whether that's a Champions League Tottenham or a Europa League Tottenham. Yeah. Um. You know, a quick word uh, on the bottom of the Premier League because we need to move on to our next section. Nottingham Forest seem to be getting themselves together now. Obviously, they were bottom of the league a few weeks ago, but they've got a few good results. A win again at the weekend. Um. They're only one point off Everton now, who surprisingly are seventeenth, which you know they started off really well. Everyone was like, okay, they're going to be back to kind of a mid-table team this yeah. season, but. Looking at that, West Ham, of course, we know we're struggling as well. But, you know, Nottingham Forest could be out of there. And it is very tight at the bottom. You're talking about four points separating 16th and 20th. Of course, Wolves getting Lopetegui now as a, as a manager in. Who who do you think, if I was to say, who's, who do you think is a write-off? Who do you think is 100% going to be going down this season? I think, for me, I would probably have to say one of the teams. 
being Southampton. Now, I think them getting in the new manager in, I think he's, they've brought him in at the right time where certain players are not going to the World Cup and he has majority of his team to train and kind of implement his style and his tactics towards him. I think that'll really benefit them, but I think it's just been too late into the season where they've only won three games and they're conceding a lot of goals. Yeah, Southampton are worried for me because I think they've got a core of very good young players. Yeah. Um, I just think there's a lack of maybe experience needed to get out of a relegation battle. And and with Wolves, all I see there is just talent, talent, talent. Yeah. So I, I do think Wolves could get out of it. But I think this might be the year. If Everton don't get their stuff together and Calvert-Lewin remains injured, ooh, uh, this might be the season Everton actually do go down after they survived last season. I think the scenes um, that occurred after the game, it just shows whether the fans are against yeah, the players maybe or the, there's, the manager. There's a start of breakdown there, to be uh, fair. Yeah, them, them just even throwing the shirts at the players just shows that they don't, there's no fight, there's it's no not, grit it's in the it's team. Not, uh, the, the togetherness that we saw last season yeah. might be lacking a little bit. Yeah. Moving on, we've of course seen the World Cup squads announced and there's been a couple of surprise players being left out of the international squads. Uh, of course, I, th- I think the standouts for me really personally have been with the, the Netherlands squad where we've seen Dan Juma and Botman being left out. Yeah. That's been a big shock for me. Sam, what are your thoughts on kind of the squads that have been picked so far, how they're shaping up and who's been kind of a surprise exclusion for you? Um, I think if I'm looking at the, the big teams or the big nations, I'd have to say looking at Spain, them not choosing Sergio Ramos, Thiago or even David De Gea. Yes, I know that David De Gea doesn't really suit the playing style of the manager but I think even having him as like a backup option in case Unai Simon gets injured it is a really good backup option to have with the experience that he has and the qualities that he has shown this season in terms of his recent form what about Thiago for Spain I'm I'm kind of surprised as to why he wasn't chosen I think he's start he started the season very slow due to injuries but now that he's slowly picked up his form I think they've got really talented players throughout the midfield and I can't really debate as to why he wasn't chosen, but I think he's he's a better option to take in rather than Koke, who's a leader for Atletico Madrid. But even them, not even they, haven't been performing to his to their best, and nor has he. So it's yeah, maybe, I, for it, me exactly. I, I wasn't I wasn't hugely surprised that Thiago wasn't wasn't picked. But I, I think if we look at that midfield selection, the one player that you would put him ahead of is is Koke for c- sure. Yeah, I, th- I think is it because the managers more suited to Koke's playing style or is just Thiago isn't fitted to even start for the team? I think you do know that the starting players would, would be Rodri as well as Pedri. And it's just yeah, the I right think the start, the starters, I think the start in midfield would probably be uh, Rodri, Pedri and Soler. Um, mm. And I think Gavi, Gavi was there to, to kind of back up the, the main options. Busquets, of course, will be backing up yeah. Rodri. And I think Lorente, you take him because you can play him anywhere on the pitch. Yeah, exactly. You can literally play him centre-back, striker, wherever you want to play him, he can play. Um, I think the question mark, I, I agree. I, I think Thiago, Thiago should feel hard done by. What do you feel about um, Sergio Ramos? Sergio Ramos is an interesting one because I would have taken Sergio Ramos just for the experience. And and it, to be fair, he's not even, I don't think he starts for them. I think Pau Torres is, is by far their best centre-back. With Laporte, yeah. With 100%. Laporte. Laporte is, uh, you know, is good uh, in some some games. But I still take him for the experience. I think you do need that experience. Now, with Spain, I don't think there's huge expectations, as we mentioned in, in the last uh, episode. I think with him, with Spain, it is a case of 
expectations are probably to get the round of 16. Uh, yeah. I don't think beyond that there's anything. And I think it's just a case of if Luis Enrique can work his magic as we've seen him do, do as we've seen him do before, then then maybe they can be a threat. Well, in terms of the England squad, yeah. Um, I, I'll be honest. Like I was slightly surprised in terms of uh, how many players that I was happy with kind of being selected. I thought I'd be more annoyed at the selection, but to be fair, th- there hasn't there wasn't a lot of question marks. I, th- I think for me, there's three players that kind of put a question mark as to why they weren't chosen or why they were chosen. Mm-hmm. Who are they? I think the three players being, firstly, within defence, has to be Conor Cody. In midfield, I have to say Conor Gallagher. And thirdly, I'd have to say... Now, this one is a surprise, but I would say Calvin Phillips. I think Conor Cody has probably been taken for the sake of the dressing room Yeah, he's, he's the leadership. Most, he's the most positive influence in the dressing yeah, room, but according to everyone... Um, and I think that's the main reason he's there. And but then it, it's I don't have a major issue with him being picked. I'll be honest, because I don't think he'll play. No, but the excuse for Southgate saying that the likes of tomorrow, who's who might not have had the best start to the season, but him winning the Serie A last season, it kind of goes to show all that hard work that you've done means nothing. Because the excuse that he used was the young players aren't ready to push out the elder players. Now with with tomorrow, I, I can understand the demand for him. I I just think. Think because about I, th- I think the problem with Tamori is that there's an argument to say he wouldn't start even if he did go. Nor would Conor Cody, but Conor Cody offers that exactly. So if you Exactly. So if neither are going to start, maybe I take the something that's going to give me the intangibles. But you've got... So I, I can kind of understand that. And I do feel sorry for Tamori. The biggest reason I feel sorry for Tamori is that England gave him the single cap unnecessarily yeah especially when he's eligible to play for other countries he yeah. could have uh, I, th- I believe he he's also eligible to play for canada now with canada at the world cup we could easily have seen him, him play for them I mean, so this is similar to tammy abraham as well w- with tammy abraham I, i'm more baffled because my issue with the the striker position is that gareth southgate has taken two strikers yeah who are both injury prone. Now, Harry Kane is the starter, the captain, the main player, the guy who's going to score all the goals, a, a challenger for the golden boot. So that's understandable. Mm. Callum Wilson has been in incredible form, amazing form. Yeah. So I can understand him going, but at the same time, you have to bear in mind the two strikers you have taken are two injury prone strikers. So for me, I look at it and I'm just like, when I see Ivan Tony, who has arguably been better than Callum Wilson, not going, that's a question mark. And then Tammy Abraham not going, that's a question mark. And I'm just like, okay, let, let's assume Harry Kane gets injured or Harry Kane is unav- unavailable to play and Callum Wilson is injured, which is very likely. Callum Wilson yeah. gets injured quite a lot, to be fair. So in that situation, you're stuck with no strikers. Yeah, uh, I think you're, you're right to kind of highlight the two strikers. I think is that they're both similar strikers in terms of how they play the nine position. 100%. And with Ivan Tony, you have an out and out oh, line that bro. his movement is. I I'm best honestly, I just think Ivan Tony is the perfect striker for an international stage. Absolutely, I think he's got the height of six foot three. He can hold the ball up. He brings others into play, and just even looking at his game against Manchester City over the weekend, the celebration just goes to show how annoyed or how disappointed he was not being picked. And rightfully so, because. I personally, listen, I, I'm, that, that was the, the pick that shocked me the most. Ivan Tony has, has been the second best English attacker uh, in the league this season, third at worst. Now, Callum Wilson, I, I understand the demand, but 
you know, if we're honest with ourselves, he hasn't been better than Ivan Tony this season. No. And to and I, I would argue that Ivan Tony plays in a worse team as well. Um, exactly. And Ivan Tony just has a more complete profile. Like you said, he can come close, he can link up the play, he can act as a number nine, he can act as a poacher. He's the most versatile attacker England have. And me as a Manchester United fan, we've seen the links to Ivan Tony. I would love him to sign because I think he his game translates well to every level of football. Um, so I, I'm really disappointed he didn't go. I think, good point you highlighted as well, Gallagher. I like Gallagher as a player. I just don't know whether he's done enough to be included, especially when you have profiles of like someone like Ward Prowse, for example. Yeah, and, and similar to Calvin Phillips. I think looking at the team itself, where he's had 56 or 57 minutes of Premier League football, and that's warranted you to make the World Cup squad, whereas certain players, for example, just out there, Reese James, who's been working hard during his injury to get back fit. Yeah, for Southgate to say it's come too soon for him. It's like Kyle Walker, for example. Yeah, like you mentioned. So uh, there's been a lot of debates before. So guys, let us know who you, who you think uh, was the most hard done by player um, in in across across the world across all the selections. Um, and like we we mentioned earlier, Dan Juma for me is a shocking. I think one. another I one, that one, just to highlight, Bangal um, would have to be Matt Hummels. Now he's been in incredible form for Dortmund this season. He's improved, and he looks like the old Matt Hummels of Dortmund before Bayern Munich signed him. And to see that Germany themselves haven't really brought him back into the squad, it's kind of worrying because yes, they do have Tony Rudiger as their kind of clear and out and out centre back, but they've got kind of kids or upcoming. To- to be fair, I think the, the selection of Armel Belakotchap has been a, a sensational one. I really like him. I think he's a very, very good centre-back, to be fair. But and um, but yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. I think, I, again, it's the experience thing. And he's been he's a player there, who's been he's there, it. he's won it. Exactly. He, and you need that within the squad. It's important experience. Of course, shout out to Mario Goetze getting back in the Germany squad as well. He's had a tough couple of years, but he's, he's fought his way back. Finally, I mean, we this wasn't something we planned to talk about, but we have to talk about it because it's come out in the last 24 hours or so. And it's Cristiano Ronaldo's interview with Piers Morgan that will air later this week. So all we have to go off is, is the kind of the comments and the the quotes that have come out already. And let me, let me start off, obviously, as a United fan, it's just so incredibly disappointing and so incredibly sad that I'm seeing... A guy basically leave, and it's like he's doing his best effort to burn his legacy with the club. Coming out saying things that are just not true, coming out and saying things that people who follow the game know are not true, all in an attempt to leave the club that the club want him to leave anyway. And it's like he's trying to force their hand, um, and I just don't understand it. I'll be honest with you, I really don't understand why he's he's coming out and saying the things he does. The two quotes, especially for me. Uh, the 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 quote about Ten Hag doesn't respect me, I don't respect him. And I'm just like, the way you've acted in the last three months, Ten Hag has shown you nothing but respect. This guy had walked off during a game and the manager still made him captain a couple of weeks after. And he disappeared in that game as well, let's not mention. And the thing is, even if he was playing at his best, this would be unacceptable, but he isn't. He's missing sitters every single game he plays. The The team plays totally differently when he plays because they're trying to force the ball to him and for me that's it's like when you send for the manager in your position it's not right and the second one the more more disappointing one was when he sent for Wayne Rooney now it's referring to how Wayne Rooney looks and saying 
Oh, he finished uh, earlier in his career and I'm still at the top level and things like that. When Wayne Rooney didn't even send for him that much. All Wayne Rooney said was walking off the pitch was wrong, but uh, I'm sure he's frustrated and I understand him. Wayne Rooney didn't even say anything outlandish about him and it's just disappointing to see. I'm just I'm just very disappointed in how he's going out sad because he could have gone out, you know, even if it wasn't the perfect scenario of us winning something. And he could have just gone out in a way that that didn't ruin his relationship with the fans and the club. Yeah, I think you're you're right in some aspects. Um, but as a, a Liverpool fan or someone that isn't a United fan, there is some arguments why I would agree with him. I in think, what though? In uh, what? Like, let, let's be honest. Like, it's not like not a lot of what he said um, is kind of new to people. I think the biggest one is that the club wanted him out, and so but the this, board. Okay, so for example, okay, so look, let's look at that. We know that that's false. Why? Let me read you out a, a tweet from Fabrizio Romano. This Call him Tapping Romano if you want, but the reality is even if he's a tapping, he's still saying things that are reliable. Cristiano Ronaldo's situation. Jorge Mendes still working to find a solution. Potential last-minute transfer as one year ago. Cristiano's priority has always been to leave Manchester United. Manchester United insists he's not for sale. Jorge Mendes still exploring options. He was trying to leave in the summer. And yeah, as Jamie Carragher said this yeah, today... yeah. As Jamie Carragher said today, he wanted to leave. No one wanted him. The club didn't want him to leave. This stuff about the club wanted to get rid of me, it's not true because you wanted to leave, not the club wanted you to leave. Whether it's true or not, I think there's certain parts where if you're an outsider looking in, if he's coming in and he's commenting about, for example, the technology or the... Okay, so let's look at that quote okay. then, yeah? Yeah. Okay, did he just sign this summer or did he sign last summer? Last summer. Okay, so why didn't he come out and say this stuff last year when he when he first signed when he first came back and saw everything? When a when a player comes into a club, would you even though he's one of the biggest no, players, no, no. maybe the My biggest player? My point is the reason why he's saying the things he's saying now, and the interview he's doing now is because he's been put in his place by a manager who has authority. That's the only reason. He's kind of shown his side of the story, and what side though? What uh, side? What we, side? The, the 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 idea is very simple. It's like you do not treat. A club that you claim to love, that you claim to love the fan base like this just because you want to get you want to leave. And it's almost like he wants to get sacked. Now I think maybe he's he could be smart enough where if he does leave on a free, no club would have to pay a transfer fee to get him. I, United and happy to give him away, bro. I just think it's sad the way the yeah, way he has gone uh, out. And and the the worst thing for someone like me is I, I think Ronaldo is the greatest to ever play the game. So when I'm seeing the the things that he's doing and the way that he's acting it's, it feels like he's trying to burn down his legacy and it's very frustrating. And I think it's just that the, the focal aim of this would be that his ego is being hurt and him being exactly. embarrassed and kind of shown out as like a, a poster of the reason as to why United have been failing or whether kind he likes of it, disappointed. Whether, whether he likes it or not, and correlation does not mean causation, Yeah, but whether he likes it or not, before he's, we signed him, we were challenging, we were second, we were consistent in the top four. We sign him, he has a good season, the team has a bad season. This season, in the games he doesn't play, we play better. We score more goals when he doesn't play. The team looks happier when he doesn't play. So whether it's down to him or not, to him, down to him, but we cannot deny the fact that we're, we're seeing in front of us. Do you think it's because, I think looking at reports from last season where he was signed in, um, and it was because he was linked to Manchester City, yeah, yeah, I mean, only I mean, himself. I don't I think mean, he wanted him. Yeah, I don't think Oli wanted him. I, don't, I think he was forced on Oli. Um, I, I think but we saw that in the Everton game last season when Oli didn't play him, and and that I think is what started the whole but then drama. You, but you've got to blame the 
the actual board of Manchester United were... Exactly, but this is what I'm trying to say. It's a different board this season than last season. So it's like, you can't, you can't send for the guys that are here now for the mistakes of the people who were there before. And so, even if we take what he says at face value, which we can't because we're not stupid and we have historical evidence that is to the contrary, you have to question his motivations. And it's very clear to people. I don't think people are stupid and I don't think people will fall for it. And we'll see where it goes from there. Moving on from football, uh, we spoke quite a bit, to be fair, this week because there was a lot to talk about. But moving on to the NFL and what a crazy, crazy game we saw yesterday between the Minnesota Vikings and the Buffalo Bills. Probably the game of the year. Definitely the game of the year, if yeah. anything. Um, of course, the, it came down to the fourth quarter comeback by the Vikings. One of the best catches of all time by Justin Jefferson. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about him. Getting to the one-inch line, not being able to score the touchdown. Josh Allen comes, fumbles on the one-inch line, concedes the touchdown, goes down the field, gets the field goal overtime. The Vikings get a, a field goal, and Josh Allen is intercepted. At the end of the game. A crazy game, Osama. Yeah. Uh, we both watched it. Yeah. Uh, what was your takeaway? Do you think that game told us more about the Vikings or more about the Buffalo Bills? I think I've got to say it told us more about the Vikings themselves. Them being 7-1 and one going into the game kind of shows that they've had a really good start to the season and whether they can actually push on and kind of challenge to actually get into the Super Bowl itself is kind of the biggest question that we had over him. And I think them going in facing one of the biggest contenders for the Super Bowl, being the Bills, who is who are their biggest kind of challenge or the biggest challenge they will face yeah, right now. Yeah, the biggest challenge so far because they've had quite an easy schedule so far, haven't they? Yeah, and for them to to be losing the game and to show that character and grit to come back in and actually go on and win the game, it kind of shows the mentality change within the team and whether they can push on now and keep improving and stepping. I could think they, they could easily make it towards the playoffs and the Super Bowl itself. Yeah, I, th- I think the, the, the playoffs are probably guaranteed now. I, I can't see the Packers catching up. And I I agree with you to say, I can see where you're coming from. It, 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 it is their biggest win this season, especially with the soft schedule that they have had. Um, And Justin Jefferson, man. What a catch. What a game Absolutely. and what a catch. Best player on the pitch, in my opinion. Yeah. The best player on the field, in my opinion, yesterday. Uh, 10 receptions, 193 yards, a career high, a touchdown, and that catch. I, 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 honestly, I don't know how many times I've rewatched that catch. Bro, do you know what? I, I watched it at the time. I was like, oh, that got intercepted by the guy behind him. <laughs> and then you look at it and know it's a one-handed catch behind his back, leaning backwards. Yeah, it's nuts. It's nuts. On a fourth and 18 or a fourth and 19 in a crucial game, he doesn't make the catch, they lose the game. Yeah. It's Bill's ball, they win the game. So, shout out to Justin Jefferson. What a player, what a performance that was by him. But for me, I'm not going to lie to you, bro. Yeah? Tells me more about the Bills. Okay, what do you mean? Now, the Minnesota Vikings, of course, there was question marks and... and I, I do wonder whether all the question marks have been answered, but with the Bills, they've just come off a loss to the Jets that they should not have lost with Allen having a, a shocker of a performances, yeah. throwing two interceptions. And the, what they had to answer this week was, is that just a blip? Are you still the best team in the NFL? Are you the team that everyone thinks you are? Are you the mm. quarterback that everyone thinks you are? And he came in with a slight uh, shoulder injury, of course, but 
the problem was the way they threw the game away. If it was a close game throughout, then you can kind of make an excuse for them. It was yeah. the the problem was for me is that they put themselves in a in a position where they were leading by seventeen, and then they threw the game away. And you have to see that there is a pattern in the Bills throwing away close games. Yeah, of course we saw the Chiefs in last year's playoffs, and now this one in a similar position. We see Allen get the ball in overtime like he wanted to in that game, and throwing a pick uh, right at the end. So it, it raises more question marks for me about the Bills, and that's why it tells me more about them. It tells me that they may not be a team that is ready to consistently win in the playoffs. In the playoffs, you have to you have to put in at least three wins in a row to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, do you, In well, their case, they're probably going to have to win four because I don't, I don't know whether they'll get the number one seed. I think they still have a chance because the, the, the Chiefs, I think, have a, a more difficult schedule. Josh Allen seems... I don't know whether he's regressing, but his his game is showing a lot of problems still. Do you think whether it's down to the players themselves, maybe going into the game thinking it's kind of... Going back to the Jets game, for example, I think going into that game, they might have thought this could have been not a walk in the park, but a, a game they expect to win. And them not having the right mentality in that game, as well as also going to this game with the Vikings, is it because they, they think it's kind of an so like easy win for them? being complacent, you mean? Yeah, in a way. Um, I, I think in the Jets game, you could argue that for sure. Going in after a crazy winning streak, beating the Chiefs and so on, I think you could lend a lot of the reasons to that loss uh, to complacency, especially in the manner that they kind of lost the game. With this one, I can't because I think they came into this one motivated to win, realizing they're playing a good team, realizing that they've come off a loss, uh, and that's why I, I raise question marks. And the biggest issue for me is now they're third in their division, and you know, no one will put it past them to win that division. But they're zero and two against Jets and the Dolphins, of course, who they still have to play again. I think they beat the Pats. I think they'll beat the Pats both games. But if they don't win both the games against Miami and the Jets, I think that Miami are looking dangerous. I think Miami could win that division and, and make it uh, and, and kind of be the the the, the highest seed in the in the playoffs. Do you think the Bills themselves will make it to the playoffs? I think they 100% the make the playoffs. 100% make the playoffs, but the question marks around them will not go away until they win uh, a couple of games against good yeah. teams consistently. Yeah. And uh, that's the question mark for me. And in the AFC... It's a tough one, bro. Yeah. You can have an amazing record and you're still not making the playoffs. So it is a tough one. They can't afford many more losses. So it'll be interesting to see how they do. But, you know, speaking of Allen, who was in the MVP race a, a couple of weeks ago, we come to, to looking at it now. By the way, before we do talk about the MVP, I want to give a big shout out to Justin Fields. Justin Fields, with a coach that believes in him, is showing the potential that everyone saw last year. And he is an absolute monster of a quarterback. He, honestly, watching him is so entertaining because he's powerful, his acceleration is amazing, and he's starting to show it for the Bears. And boy, he has it all. I think he's he's a very similar profile to Josh Allen, but he has so much about him. And uh, the, the maturity that he's showing this season is Crazy. the ability to be patient with the ball and to make good good decisions and right decisions consistently. And 
Uh, I think maybe in future years we'll be talking about him being, being in the MVP conversation. But for now, today, the three standouts are, of course, Patrick Mahomes, who leads the NFL in touchdowns. The Chiefs lead the NFL in offense. Um, of course, we have Jalen Hurts, remains unbeaten, more of a complete team. Of course, it's more of a team effort, but remains unbeaten. And as long as the Eagles remain unbeaten, he will remain in that conversation. And of course, Tua Tagovailoa, who has taken an incredible step after last season. Shout out to the new coach, of course, and Tyreek. Tyreek has probably been the best, you know, offensive player this season who probably will, will win the offensive player of the year. Sam, out of them three kind of quarterbacks, I know people say it shouldn't be a quarterback award, I know, but in terms of out of them three, who stands out for you as the the main MVP candidate? I think for me, I've got to say Hurts. I think having zero losses, zero close calls, 10-point lead in every game, and makes the same kind of high-effort game-defining plays in each game he has played in this year, kind of puts the question out there whether he can be MVP. And I think he's shown that this season. I think he's playing really good. Um, offensively, the team's playing insane with the kind of plays that have, they've been making this season. And yeah, you, you've kind of got to take your hat off and kind of give him his congrats. He has been performing in one of the best teams this season. Do you think, though, with, with the Eagles, this is my thing. Okay. My question mark with that is, do you think if they lose a game, that, that pushes him out of the conversation? Because, because th- with the others... I think it's a case of despite them losing, uh, the quarterbacks are consistently performing. And I think with Jalen Hurts, a lot of the conversation about why he should be in the MVP uh, discussion is the fact that they are unbeaten. Do you think that changes if, if they get beaten at any point? Personally, uh, I, I don't think so. I think the Eagles have a running, a running game and a great defense. I think the strength that they've shown within the schedules that they've gone in, I think is giving them the edge. I think if Mahomes is in the same team, and in, in the same calip and if Mahomes is in that team, I think they'll be eight and as well. So I think he has kind of adapted well to the team and is performing with the best team that he has and it's shown throughout the season. And I think yeah. even if the loss does come in, which it might do at one point within the season, I think the team have done really well. So you just be like a little blip or yeah, maybe it's, loss of concentration. It, it, that's what I'm saying. I think with them it's more of a team effort. That's the only thing for me. I think I think Tua Tua for me is for a lot of people I think Tua might be the favorite at the moment, but Mahomes is the clear favorite for for everyone. But I do think I think if they manage to become unbeaten, I think he has a very strong case, very very strong case. And I don't think they have many tough games. I think the two tough games, the Cowboys being one, um, but I think there's a good chance of them being unbeaten. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think if we get past week twelve and they're still unbeaten. I think we're talking about an unbeaten season. For me, Mm. though, it has to be Patrick Mahomes. I mean, listen, forget the fact that (laughs) Patrick Mahomes is my boy. Forget that. He's been absolutely sensational this season. He has been. And I'll tell you why I think he deserves it over the others as well. Patrick Mahomes over the week. Let's just look at the weekend, right? 26 from 35. 331 yards, four touchdowns. Casual game for him. Casual game. His third four-touchdown game of the season, more than anyone else. And he leads the NFL in in touchdowns, of course, with 25 touchdowns. And the Chiefs lead in uh, offense. And he's one of the main running attacks of the Chiefs. He's a dual threat this year when no one saw it coming. 
when Tyreek left, a lot of people questioned whether they can still perform as an offense, and they're still the best offense. He's sharing the ball, of course. We've seen him get Kadarius Tony uh, involved last weekend, um, and it's just magical. Watching him is magical, and the reason why I I I still take him over, the reason why I still take him over, Tua and Hurts for me is this. With Hertz, like I said, I think a lot of that relies on the unbeaten record. If they lose one game, people are not going to mention him in it. With Tua, I think Tua has been sensational. I okay. genuinely been so impressed with Tua, and I, I like Tua. And there's been a lot of criticism in the past, but the only problem with Tua is that he's missed three games, and I don't think you can win an MVP when so so far you've missed a third of your team's games. So. Uh, for me, it's it's a no debate. I'll be honest. The best player, the best quarterback, is going to be the, the MVP. Do you think the MVP should be awarded to the best player or the best player that's suited well for the team? Because if you think about it's it, it's the most way, valuable player, isn't it? Yeah, so, exactly. So it's, it's it's both the the best player and the most valuable player. That's that's what goes into consideration. But if you look at Mahomes, for example, the two losses that have come in this year, neither of them have been the down to him though. Because I look at the two losses, the the loss to Indiana, they. It was the special teams. The special teams couldn't finish. The special teams were injured. You've seen missed field goals all over the place. You've seen get giving them bad field position. Mahomes did everything he could for 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 that Colts game, and they shouldn't have lost that game, of course. And of course, the the other loss was to the Bills, and you know the only slight blame you could you could give him is for that interception right at the end. But they were leading with a minute to go. They were winning the game with a minute to go. So uh, I can see where maybe for the Bills game you would put blame on him, but. In terms of, apart from that, you, you, the way he's leading the NFL in, in, in the categories he, he is, for me, I can see him getting that second uh, MVP trophy. And in an NFC that in an AFC that's so competitive, there's no guarantee of, of making a Super Bowl. Yeah. But uh, I, think I, I think he likes his chances. I think Miami, though, are a very, very scary team. If Miami even... Start to improve their defense a little bit, and yes. people need to be worried. I think mm. uh, it's it's a very very interesting time for for the AFC for sure, and the NFC. Uh, we've seen obviously the two greats, uh, Rogers and Brady, getting wins this week, which was which was good to see from their point of view. So, uh, as we kind of move into this second half of the season, it's going to be very interesting to see how it works out, and of course. After the World Cup, that's going to be the main talking point as we go into the NFL playoffs. Uh, finally, before we finish, uh, move on. Moving on to the NBA, um, it's been a weird, weird season, hasn't it? Because we yeah. mentioned before teams that you don't expect to be doing well, doing well, um, and it's kind of just carried on a little bit, hasn't it? If we look at the West, for example, we've seen, of course, the Utah Jazz had the the number one spot until uh, a couple of nights ago. They're down to the fourth, but. Still a record to ten and five with no one yeah. expecting that for a team that everyone thought would be tanking for when Benyama. Uh the Golden State Warriors still struggling five and eight so far this season. Um and then the Bucks doing Bucks things, ten and two. The other day we saw their top the we saw their big three all injured and they still managed to to get a win. Who who from the who has impressed you the most uh in the last couple of weeks uh in terms of the, the NBA server? I think recently I would have to give uh, a massive shout out to the Brooklyn Nets. Ooh, we'll I come on to them. We'll come on to them. But apart from them, who who impressed you? I think for me, I've got to give a massive shout out to Portland Trailblazers. I think they've had a really good start to the season. And it kind of shows with the record being 
joint number one seed within the Western Conference. And yeah, you've got to give credit and a massive shout out to the team as well as the coach for kind of taking them there where not many players or not many teams that have expected them to be where they are. Um, so I think for me, it has to be Portland. What, what about yourself? I like that. I like that. For me, uh, you listen, Utah surprises everyone. And I think Utah have got a solid team there. Shout out to Jordan Clarkson, who's been very, very good. Um, but the team I'm going to go with, um, and it's it, it, w- it wasn't necessarily a surprise, but it's more of a team that people were saying, okay, let's see what you got, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, we've seen them, of course, trade for Donovan Mitchell. Um, and now they've got that kind of backcourt of uh, Mitchell and Garland and boy, they they are very looking very good. And of course, shout out, I mean, they may have lost yesterday, but Darius Garland, shout out to He's him. He's had a massive Had his massive career high, 50 point, 51 points, six assists, uh, 16 from 30 from field goal range. Yeah, and he becomes the fourth player in the Cavaliers franchise history to record a 50-plus game. Exactly. So and he's drawing uh, the massive list of... Exactly, indeed, great names, indeed. of course. And yeah. for me... The I, I really I'm, they're the most interesting team for me in terms okay. of how good can they be because I, I think with Donovan at Utah there was a lot of question marks whether he's got the right team around him okay. and whereas I don't think that Cavaliers are a complete team I think they've got a, a core of young players who mm. are very very good um, and I think with one or two years or one or two more nice pieces they can really challenge in in that eastern conference listen the east is turning into the beast in the east you know do you know what i'm saying like a lot of (laughs) lot of class teams there now yeah um uh, and that's that's very very interesting for us as fans to see of course but moving on to the team that you did mention uh because i want to talk about a bit more in detail about them and that's the brooklyn nets now of course we've seen them sack steve nash and we've seen the drama with Kyrie being suspended of course for the for the foreseeable future yeah Ever since he's been suspended, they've been on a, a very good run of form. Yeah. Um, and I, for me, it's, I wouldn't say it's quite surprising, but it's it raises a question mark about Kyrie's role in the team for me. Is it Kyrie or is it the coach? I think the reason I think it's Kyrie is because when Kyrie doesn't play, you have a more solid defensive Able unit. Okay. Yeah, a mm. more defensive unit. Uh, the stronger on the defensive end and because of that, I think they are more complete, whether they're better going forward or maybe they're not. But they are more complete. And I think that's the only sticking point for them. And despite the Kyrie drama, I do wonder whether teams may still be happy f- to trade for him. And if they are, I wouldn't be surprised if the Brooklyn Nets would entertain it, to be honest with you, because I think they can get some picks back while at the same time, maybe get a nice little piece to complement KD. Uh, ben Simmons still question marks over him, but they they look more defensive, and that's a good thing for them. They have looked better without Kyrie, and uh, you have to give credit to the team for for stepping up for that. I think I've got to disagree in terms of Steve Nash might have been kind of holding them back and not really allowing the players in the team to progress forward without with or without having Kyrie. Um, but I've got to give a ma- massive shout out to KD, who I think in the recent run of form, he's kind of stepped his game up, known for what that the team are kind of in need of him to step up. And yeah, and and uh, with, with the Lakers, to be fair, it was like a nothing win because they are. Listen, I don't know what they're gonna do. Look, Anthony Davis had an amazing game, and it was about time because he's he's looked a shadow of himself. But 
honestly, I don't know what they're going to do. I think they, they need to go into rebuilding, and I just don't know whether they're able to do it But because of LeBron being there. But they 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 are not good. They're, they're going to finish outside the play-in. New Orleans, listen, if New Orleans get, get Wemby because of them, that would be absolutely be hilarious. Uh, shout out Wemby. He's going he's gonna to be an absolute problem in the, in, in the league. And like, like you said... KD is, is performing to a ridiculously high level. I think if you look he's at he's averaging thirty points, which would have won the scoring title in forty-four years. And like I said, in terms of the scoring, shout out to all the young players doing bits. Yeah. Jamaran and Luca, of course, we mentioned them in the first week. Uh, they continue to shine. They continue to to kind of make their way towards the MVP contention. So, thank you for listening with us this week. And as mentioned, of course, from next week onwards, maybe this weekend. We'll be bringing you our brand new show, The Doha Diaries, for the World Cup. Osama, of course, will be joining me for that one. And we'll have some special guests from around the globe joining us uh, on that one. Uh, and we look forward to it, of course. Osama, thank you for joining me again this week. It's been a pleasure as usual, man. And thank you, guys. Uh, please continue to follow, share, like, and subscribe. Uh, and we look forward to our next episode as the World Cup kicks off. And make sure you tune in. Thank you very much. Have an amazing week and keep it locked.